RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's my great pleasure to welcome from Club Grubbery, but also, of course, as you've heard before, former Qantas 737 pilot Captain Graham Hood. Hoodie is, as he's known, uh, returns to Reality Check Radio. Graham, it's great to see you again. Thanks for coming on. Great to see you too, Paul. Lots to discuss as usual. Yeah, I hope you're well. You're looking good. Uh, listeners can't see you, but I can. Oh, it's just as well they can't see me. My eyes are hanging out. We're in the middle of our 10-week um, tour number five over here, speaking with communities, and it's been flat out. Yeah, how's that been going? Because I've been thinking about you on and off and how how that's been going. Has it been dropping into to your chats and stuff? Yeah, no, it's been really, really good. Lots more people coming out, lots more people waking up, and we're getting a real feel of where the country's at. Um and uh, the spirit of Australia is not dead, but boy, it's pretty close. But it, I'll tell you what, it's coming back pretty quick too. The spirit of Australia, I remember that being on the uh, side. Is that still on the side of Qantas planes? Yeah, it needs to be erased. Yeah, okay. Now, I've I've kind of been looking forward to this chat because we I think we've talked about this ages ago, right after you left Qantas. That was an amazing story, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you you're in contact with a lot of, uh, airline people, and that surely hasn't gone away. So inevitably, you could see that there would be problems post all this madness in the aviation world. It relies on safety, relies on very professional people, and uh, um, no compromise, and uh, people being you know at peak fitness doing their job. So where do you want to start, Graham, on all of that? Well, I think Paul, it's it's. Um... It's timely for everybody to to examine what's going on in Qantas and link that to what's going on around the world because uh, Qantas is now the um, the spotlight is on Qantas for doing the things that corporations around the world have been doing for many years. Qantas has now been shown up for the corporate thug that it is, and I can't believe I'm saying that because wow. it is one of the oldest and it has been the safest airline in the world. And I worked for it back then. I was proud of it. But... Uh, Many people knew 10 years ago that Alan Joyce was going to uh, leave the brand in, in in tatters, and he has done that. He's made sure that he and his cronies have been well healed along the way, and now we've got uh, a Qantas which is made up of a, a bureaucracy, the, the senior management in all departments in Qantas who seem to lack any backbone at all, who've allowed this to happen on their watch. Many of those are licensed people. Yeah. Um, who have to maintain their, their credentials with the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, like the chief pilot. Um, and these people are licensed engineers and the head of aircraft maintenance, uh, the chief of um, of Qantas Medical. And then, we, of course, we have the unlicensed people who are the bean counters. There were smart lefties that have come in from university that run the show, like corporate affairs management, uh, industrial relations management, and human resources, which we now call human remains. Yeah. And these thugs have decimated a great airline and they all need to go. And now we're living in this situation where Qantas has made promises to do better. And now there's a, a strike by subsidiary pilots for one of the uh, one of the corporate uh, subsidiaries in the West, which feed the mining industry. That's happening tomorrow. These guys are on peanuts compared to what other airline pilots are on around the world. Their working conditions are atrocious. <clears throat> And in the middle of school holidays over here, Qantas has cancelled more flights on the East Coast yet again so they can send uh, their uh, domestic fleet over to the West. (laughs) Excuse me. I just swallowed the wrong way. 
That's right. Over to the West with Qantas mainline pilots who are being used to break the strike of the uh, pilots over here in the West. So this is Qantas thuggery at its best. It's learned nothing in the last month. It continues to behave in the thuggish fashion it always has. Its board members have just awarded themselves a pay rise when they should all be sacked. The chairman of the board is refusing to go, yet he's he's allowed Alan Joyce and the other rapists in this company to carry on carte blanche. It's an absolute disaster, but it is, as I said, typical of all the corporations that we're dealing with over here. We have thousands and thousands of mandated health workers who in states where the mandates have been dropped are still not allowed to go back to work. Give us an idea of of how it used to be and why it was that way. Sorry, you just broke up there. I was just saying, give us an idea before we talk about the current situation. How how because you've you know been in the game a long time, you'll know you know. How how was that culture? Because it was a hard won culture, right? I mean, aviation is is built on some pretty hairy moments and a lot of disasters. It it builds its culture over many years to make it the safe form of transportation that we've come to know. So how was that culture before it changed? Look, it was great. It went through highs and lows, um, but it, it it matured in ways that were were beneficial to the travelling public. I mean, we had various CEOs. Some were great, and some were dismal. Um, and uh, but I was uh, I was teaching pilots uh, human factors for many years in both Australian Airlines, which was a domestic carrier that got taken over and merged into Qantas, and in Qantas itself. And human factors is about how we communicate as a crew in times of trouble. But the same philosophy always applies to how you communicate in families or how you communicate in corporations and businesses when things are going wrong. And Qantas has failed the test in that area. And as a result, I mean, we once had a CEO called James Strong. Many people loved him and there were a few people who despised him within Qantas because he came in to try and change the culture. Didn't he come from Australian? James Strong, yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, he was the he was the guy who converted the old Trans Australian Airlines into Australian Airlines and made a fantastic business out of it. He then got the job in Qantas after a while, and he um, he once told me on a flight deck he was sitting on the flight deck with me going to Melbourne, I think it was, and I said, "Now you're the CEO of Qantas, James. You must be really excited at some of the changes that you may be able to bring into this airline." And he looked at me and he said, "Hoodie, if I could." If I could spend the time I spend taking daggers out of my back from within this organisation and actually yeah. doing what I want, it would be great. And his mantra was always, keep the staff happy, the staff keep the passengers happy, the passengers are the customers, they keep the shareholders happy and the board's happy and the whole thing goes around beautifully. But Qantas has got the, the new Qantas has got the exact opposite to that. They are corporate bullies, they are industrial thugs and they need to go. Okay, so... That's um, one CEO. Tell us about Alan Joyce. He, he's yeah. I mean, describe if you can the the sort of personality because he, he he was he he was seen as getting a guy who got stuff done, right? Yeah, look, he was. But uh, you know, when you when you consider Alan Joyce's background, and and I don't like playing uh, the man. I believe we should be playing the ball. And I had a public stoush with him about nearly five years ago now, where I. I uh, sent an email suggesting that he could do a lot more for staff morale and would save $63 million if he allocated a different award scheme to the staff to reward them when the, when the share price was going up, et cetera. 
and I offered a whole raft of suggestions to him. And he sent back the most despicable email to me, uh, uh, bullying me and telling me he would make sure that I never got another uh, another bonus ever again. Wow. And, okay. uh, and I replied to that and I told him to take a cold shower and he needs to reread what I sent to him because it was delivered in good spirit. And he came back and bullied me again. So I put it all on social media. I wanted to expose him for what he was doing. At that stage, I was like a rock star in Qantas because every staff member in the company agreed with what I'd said. But his corporate, his um, his workplace bullying tactics brought him into the eye of the legal department, who I'm told from insiders uh, said to him, "You've got to stop communicating with Hoodie, and uh, and whatever you do, don't debate with him." And uh, he wanted me fired, right or wrong. And they stood me down for a couple of weeks. And when I came back to work. Uh, after that couple of weeks sort of in the sin bin, they made me do a psych test with the company doctor oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. before I could come back to work. So that gives you an idea, the calibre of the industrial relations policies of Alan Joyce. He got things done, but he used a knife to do it. And uh, there's blood all over the floor in Qantas. There has been for years. He's always been cut, divide and conquer. And uh, I think you can trace it back. I don't know. I I don't want to refer to him personally because another CEO may have done the same thing, but you know he's not a man of a tall stature. Uh, he grew up; he's openly um, he's openly gay, and that's that's fine. Um, but you can imagine growing up in Ireland, being a, a short guy, uh, a gay short guy in Ireland back when he was growing up, it would have been tough. And he, he's he's built some resilience around that. And uh, I think he's trying to settle scores, to be honest with you, with the, with society in general. And in so doing, he's become a social engineer. He was at the forefront of the gay marriage debate here in Australia. And now in the Yes campaign, in our referendum, uh, to give uh, apparently give uh, our Indigenous people a, pop, a voice in our, um, in our uh, constitution, he's been at the forefront of that again. And that, look, that is now looking like it's going to be a dismal failure on election day. And um, it's going to cost the company about the country about $400 million and divide us more than we've ever been divided before. So these people have got to stop social engineering from the CEO boardroom and they've got to just do their business, mind their own business and let countries get on and let the people decide which way they need to to go in all matters of, of social conscience. There are enablers, though, aren't there, that um, that enable that sort of behaviour? I mean, who are they? Well, the Prime Minister over here, for one, is a big enabler of, of the ultra-left-wing ultra um uh, programs that are going on, you know, everything's, people are being cancelled if they dare disagree. I mean, uh, you know, you've had your share of amazing prime ministers, not. Um, <laughs> and I've started referring to some of our leaders as uh, cartoon characters. I always saw Jacinta Ardern as olive oil out of Popeye. Uh, and I see uh, I see our prime minister, who's a dismal um, weakling policy-wise, as far as I can see, as Elmer Fudd. And I mean, the whole world is just, we seem to be governed by cartoon characters, but they're just puppets on the end of strings that are being pulled by BlackRock and Vanguard. Yeah, I mean, when I was thinking of enablers, like in the Qantas system, there would have been some established um, um, executives in that uh, operation that uh, were there before Alan Joyce turned up, and presumably they accommodated a character like that. Well, they did, and and they've they've disappointed me and many other people still working at Qantas in so many ways because they didn't speak up, or if they did, they did it very blandly. Um, I mean, the chief pilot should have said, "This is a no go." When the when the vaccines were mandated, he knew nothing. 
He knew nothing about the uh, the, the uh, side effects. He knew nothing about what was what was being forced upon his pilots, and he did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. And we've got the aircraft, ma- the head of aircraft maintenance at that time, who did absolutely nothing when engineers were being raped and pillaged. Outsourcing was going on. There's been a big debacle with uh, what what's known as fake aircraft parts and more. Yeah, been- heard about that. Yeah. So, and the safety standards at Qantas have gone downhill dramatically dramatically because they just haven't they decimated all the staff that kept the standards up they sacked all the ones that had the integrity to stand up against alan joyce and the board and the senior management in Qantas, and now they're left with what they've got which is a hollow shell and i can tell you the staff morale has never been lower the maintenance standards have never been lower and they are struggling to keep aircraft in the air and they're struggling to meet the demands of their passengers because they've let them down two years ago on maintenance is that a lack of capacity or um, just systems that have broken down, um, not enough people? Uh, you know, how does that change from a well-established sort of tempo of, of operation? It's all of that, Paul. I remember when Qantas uh, engineering apprentices, apprenticeships in Qantas years ago were sought after. And when you got one, uh, you, you you felt like you'd won the lottery. Um, and Qantas maintenance standards were superb. They had a shop for everything. They had air, uh, aircraft instruments and electronics. They had engines. They had airframes. They had hydraulic system shops. They Everything they did, they pretty much rebuilt themselves to an extremely high standard because the ruling authority over here, the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, demanded it. But they've fallen by the wayside too. They've become a shell as well. So we have this situation where uh, outsourcing to cut costs has meant that a lot of the work is being done in Asia and the Middle East, and it's not being done to specifications, and we're getting aircraft back from uh, maintenance overseas that the pilots are telling me have got bolts missing. Wow. Okay. I mean, this is this is reprehensible, and, and it, some people are saying there have been parts sent away for reconditioning that have just been cleaned and sent back and put into inventory. Now, if that's true, that needs to be examined thoroughly, but we've got a toothless tiger in the Civil Aviation Safety Authority which is once again made up of people like the bureaucrats within within Qantas, who are all about, um, you know, are you okay and and uh, and staff uh, wellness programs and anti discrimination programs, and they're all dotting i's and crossing t's, and they're all following policy manuals which all contradict one another to the detriment of the safety of Australians and people from all over the world. I might add. So in the fleet that you're familiar with, I think 737, and that that's a real workhorse in Australia, I think well yep. over 100 aircraft in the that type in the Qantas fleet, yep. compared to when you were flying them and, and the operation that was um, uh, in place at the time, I've heard of at least a couple of engine failures and, and turnbacks just in the yep. last uh, short period of time. So, I mean, that's completely out of character, just a couple of things going wrong, isn't it? In 32 years as a captain on the Boeing 737, I saw rarely any engine failure or any air turnback as a result of a major a major technical issue. Very rarely. I Very rarely. In fact, I can't remember ever, not only on my aircraft but others, knowing of flight attendants that need to be defibrillated in flight. Wow. But that has happened several times in Qantas. And, but the, the turnback incident rate has gone through the roof. Now, uh, there is a, a technical log that lives in the aircraft. Uh, it's actually on an iPad now. It comes through electronically. 
normally a pilot or a crew signing on in the on the flight deck need to go through the defects that are allowed on that aircraft. And on a bad day, you'd see five defects that had to be looked at. Now, these were defects. The aircraft could fly. It wasn't major. It needed to be fixed on the next day of a night service. You look at the ramification of each defect and you decide then whether the aircraft was, you were happy to take the aircraft. And if the engineers signed it off, then we were quite happy to do that on most occasions. But now, Paul, I've heard of, I've heard of multiple entries in the technical log with defects in them. In one case, I heard of 36 36. Now, this is this is anecdotal from an operating pilot. He said, yeah. I can't believe it, Hoodie. I flew an aircraft today that had 36 defects on it. Now, some people might say, okay, but when you get into the aeroplane half an hour or three quarters of an hour before you depart, and you look at all those defects, to be able to understand the impact of each of those defects on each other and the overall operation of the aircraft, you need two guys to sit there for two hours yeah. to work through what the problems are. And because the schedule's so tight, what they're doing, a lot of guys are doing is saying, oh, look. She'll be okay. <laughs> we, yeah, she'll be okay. We've got to get out. Now, that that is just indicative of how bad morale is in the company. The pilots that are working there have lost interest in it. They're there for the money now. And many of them are telling me, and they're not telling the company or CASA, that they are sick, that they have been sick since they were mandated. That's what they- I wanted to get to. Yeah. Yeah. So we're there now. Um, What's the scale of that? Well, to hear even one, Paul, but I'm aware, and I've got to keep my my, uh, facts close to my chest, I'm aware of at least a dozen who have been in contact with me who really feel seriously ill, but they're able to keep flying and keep it to themselves. They don't want to bring it to the attention of the company and they don't want to bring it to the attention of their designated medical examiner. Guys are telling me I feel like my heart is unwell. Now, around the globe at the moment, there's been a 346% increase in the last 18 months of um, emergency signal transmissions through the aircraft transponder to the air traffic control system. Hmm. There are various codes that are used for various situations that an aeroplane finds itself in if it can't communicate what's really going on. And code 7700 um refers to uh, an in-flight emergency and there's been a, a around the world there's been a 346% increase in code 7700 uh transponder calls on air traffic control radars since the mandate rolled out now most yeah. of those or a great many of those Paul are relating to pilots who become incapacitated in flight now, yeah. in the old days, we we always trained for pilot incapacitation, about one simulator every year of the three or four that we would do. In our training, we would do uh, the, the instructor would tap you on the shoulder and ask you to pretend to be dead to see how the other pilot managed the situation you were in. And it was it, it was taught just to get us familiar with how we could operate the thing on our own. But now they're ramping up the training on that because it's happening more often. And some of the airlines overseas are really ramping it up. They're rewriting their training training manuals around pilot incapacitation. Now, that should tell everybody something. Okay, flying at altitude, as something happens, there's time to to work the problem, I suppose. But yeah. um, it, it, closer to the ground, in, in the busy part of it, surely that's that's a disaster waiting to happen. 
Well, when you think about it, and if you follow this through, the chances of both pilots having a medical incident at the same time is highly unlikely. Yeah, yeah. However, whenever there's a stressful approach for the aircraft to fly, like managing to land with a, with one engine, um, the captain must be the pilot flying yeah. if he's, if he's uh, capable of doing it and he's not injured. And in very difficult instrument approaches where visibility is next to nothing, the captain must be the pilot flying. And in most cases, the captain will take over if he's got to manoeuvre or try to land amidst thunderstorms and the like. So in other words, at critical stages of flight, also in very low visibility takeoffs, which the aircraft and the pilots, the captains are trained to do, not the first officers, the captains, um, these are very stressful. So aviation is made up of hours of sheer boredom with punctuated by seconds of terror. <laughs> So yeah. if at a critical stage, the captain, who is almost always the most elderly member of the pilot group, who has been vaccinated, who is suffering a heart or a neurological disorder, has got the adrenaline pumping like crazy because he's operating to his train limit, which I've been to many times and all of my colleagues have, like trying to land in, in fog with almost zero visibility and your hand flying. It's not done by automatic pilot. Wow. Yeah. Your hand flying, everything is critical. Every slightest move is critical. And I can tell you when you land, you feel like pumping the air. You know, you give your co-pilot a high five and it's such an exhilarating experience. But if at a stage of, of high adrenaline and high heart rate, um, the, the captain who's doing that tricky manoeuvre at low level uh, becomes unresponsive, the co-pilot has less than seconds to respond and bring about a successful outcome. And the, and the closer you get to the ground, I can tell you, Paul, it all happens very quickly. Yeah, seconds, yeah. Seconds. So, look, these things really concern most operating pilots. And the ones who are talking to me within Qantas, one guy is, spe is speaking to me a lot lately. His health has been totally decimated since he had the second jab. Clearly, he's got more problems than you can poke a stick at. He's grounded at the moment medically. He can't fly. He'll probably never fly again. And he was a fitness freak. Now, you know, you've got to, you've got to you know, join the bits of string together and it's not hard to work out what's going on. But there, if it's not the vaccine that's causing that, then we need, to, we need to have a debate where people who are in the knowledge get together, they uncancel those doctors who have got different opinions and they put them in a room and they get them to find the truth so we can all work out what it is. Is it something else that's happening? Because if we it's don't. something else, we've got to know. We've got to know. know whatever it is, right? Yeah. We've got to know. And in Australia, we've got, we had a, uh, we had a Senate, in, uh, we had a, um, one of our senators in the UAP, Ralph Babbitt, moved uh, a bill in the uh, Senate for the government to investigate the number of excess deaths in Australia that are of unknown causes. And he put, I think he quoted 40,000 uh, unknown cause deaths. Out of 75 senators in the chamber, 16 didn't bother to turn up for the vote. 29 voted to have it passed and 30 voted against it. Now, why would a government official, a bureaucrat or a politician sworn to serve the people not want to know why so many extra people in this country are dying? Now, it's either they're, they're tied up in policy or they're corrupt or they're stupid or all three. I mean, we, we, are, we are in a real state around the world because this is happening in New Zealand. You know it. Well, I was going to say... Um... Okay, there's the Qantas or the Australian experience. We're smaller, but we're kind of the same. So these problems, we'll be having these problems here, won't we? 
Yeah. Well, you are. And 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 the political. Have you heard? Have you heard? I haven't personally heard of any uh, in New yeah. Zealand at the moment, but um, I don't know uh, any. I know a couple of Air New Zealand pilots, um, but I'm sure that's going on over there. Um, in fact, we did interview some, I think, about 18 months ago on Club Grubbery, and um, they have major concerns. I mean, why wouldn't they? In America, they're having major concerns. We're seeing half a dozen, on average, about half a dozen pilot incapacitations every week around the world, so almost one a day. And you never heard of it, Paul, before. No, never heard that's of right. It. So what are the odds? Now, I'm not, I'm not a medical person. I can't say it's caused by vaccines, but something's causing it. But what frightens me is because it might be the vaccine, all the people who brought in this draconian stuff are scared to look at it in case they hang themselves in. Well, that, that's the obvious. That's the obvious one, isn't it? It's got to be. Otherwise, how, how do you explain, like you said, stupid, you know, what, what those things you just rattled off before. Not everyone's that stupid. No. Are they? No, they're not. And I mean... It pains me to say it. I mean, I like to stay as close to the surface as I can because I think a great many of us spend way too many hours down a rabbit hole, but it is what it is. I mean, conspiracy yeah. theory, chuck that saying out the window. Yeah, I used to mock people who had these different views on why things are happening. Now I'm a realist. Yeah, and, that's, and I, that's I, the rebranding of conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it is. It is. It absolutely is. Yep. Can you see, okay, there there are these issues, but getting back to, you know, the state of Qantas as a corporate entity then, because if that if that can come back to something, you know, more anchored to its historical sort of position, um, do you think that's possible or have they sort of kind of lost the plot? I think it's possible. Um, I think the staff are there with with the desire to see it come back to its former self, because that's how you felt in Qantas. I mean, you felt like you were working for a historic brand that everyone in the country was proud of. Now it's become a laughingstock. Um, I think it is possible if they rely on the staff. Now, they're about to spend millions of dollars on a survey through a, an organisation with dubious background in my books from seeing their history in the past is Boston Consulting Group. Oh, yeah, we've heard of them. Yeah, so they're using them to work out how Qantas can come back to its former glory. And what a waste of money. They can do that for nothing by well, putting some of these people out to interview the staff. and get Shouldn't the staff- you know how to run your own freaking company with your own culture of your own people? I mean, do you need to have someone from the other side of the planet come over and tell you how to do things? I mean, that's the problem with the world today, mate. That's the problem yeah. with the world. The staff, as James Strong said, the staff can help you. The staff can the staff know what the passengers want because they deal with them all the time. And what we need is corporate managers, the bureaucracy of management inside, underneath the board and underneath the CEO. These people need to develop a backbone and a lot of them need to be turfed out. The arrogance, I mean, HR department, which they now call the human remains department, not human resources. Yeah. They were emailing, calling writing letters to, having couriers deliver letters on the doorsteps of people who are on long-term sick leave, people on long-term leave without pay, people on long service leave and holidays, bullying them to get the vaccine. They had no right to even contact them during that period. And this is the way they work now. And the pilots in WA who are on strike tomorrow, they've had their kids answer the door to a courier who delivers a bullying letter to these pilots saying, if you if you continue with this strike action, you won't get any back pay when the EBA is passed. And they're talking about thousands of dollars back pay. Yeah. 
And the courier then has been asked to take a photo of the person receiving the letter. And in many cases, the kids of these pilots are in those photos. I mean, this is thuggery from a company who said in the last week they're going to change the way they do things, and they're doing it still. Well, that uh, new CEO is a woman. Yeah. Will will a woman's touch make any difference to this, do you think? This woman has the Alan Joyce touch because she was the chief financial officer sitting beside him through this disaster and rubber-stamped everything he did. She obviously didn't have the backbone or the, she didn't have the insight to tell him that he was um, he was killing the company then. So what's different? Nothing's different. I mean, we're in this situation because of the, of the mess we find ourselves in because people like her sitting alongside him did nothing. And now we're expected with her reading from the same playbook that she's going to come out and um, and make a difference. I don't get it. I wish mm. her well. I really do. That that everyone should be behind her, but she's not making a very monumental start. And I, I don't think she will. I don't think she's got the capacity to do it, given um, the training that she's received from the leprechaun who's now left. <laughs> and the government still, or the people of Australia, taxpayer of Australia, they still own a chunk of this airline, do, don't they? Do they? I'm not sure what the what the ownership structure is at the moment, but it's majority owned by uh, by corporate investors like um, big hedge funds, BlackRock. Oh, right, okay. And so those days are gone. Yeah. The, 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 um, the board has always said we're out to protect the investments of the everyday mums and dads uh, in Australia. But the everyday mums and dad are telling Richard Gorder and the board to resign. And Richard Gorder has come out recently and said they want him to resign, but the corporate investors are telling him not to. And he's oh dear. Okay. the chair of the corporate investors. Yeah. So what we're seeing in Qantas is the same across every corporate boardroom in this country. None of the corporates can be trusted anymore. Look, in, this referendum that we're going through, Paul, um, I've looked at the definition of fascism, and fascism defined in the dictionary says when when governments and corporations work together for the common good. Now, this referendum has been pushed hard to go the yes the yes way by the corporates and the governments, including yep. the owners. Yep. Now, to most people who are waking up, that's an automatic react. Their automatic reaction is to do the opposite. We're in a fascist state. Now, I've just been talking to a um, to a paramedic in Queensland who's involved in a legal action against the Queensland Ambulance Service. And he and nurses that I'm speaking to, and even in the mainstream media over here, they're talking about seven to 10,000 unemployed frontline health and medical staff who haven't been, who've been mandated out of a job in a state where the state said they've dropped the mandates. But the corporates who run the health industry, they're being vindictive because how dare you? How dare you defy our corporate policy when we asked you to get vaccinated? How dare you do that? You, we're going to make you pay. Wow. Now, we're bringing in frontline medical staff from all around the world. We're trying to accommodate them in the middle of a housing crisis. We've got nurses sleeping in their cars, Paul, because they haven't got a job and they've lost yeah. their homes. Yeah. How nasty is that, eh? How nasty oh, thugs, is that? These thugs have to go, mate. Look, it just doesn't pass the pub test either side of the of the ditch. Yeah, well, we've got it here, slightly smaller scale, but it's the same record playing, mate, I tell you. Yeah. yeah. Is Qantas finished? <laughs> Last question. Uh, uh, well, are these operations, because it's not an Australian company anymore then, is it really? Oh, no, it's, it's, it's it belongs got- to, it's sort of diffuse 
corporate ownership hedge funds is what you're saying. It's, it's it sort is. of gone. I, when I did tour number three, we, we're on our fifth tour at the moment. In tour number three, we we drove through Longreach where Qantas was born, Longreach Winton. Yeah. And I had the privilege of, of delivering my community speech in the Qantas Museum. Alan Joyce had been there the week before. Now, if he had the power to stop me from doing that, he would have, but he couldn't because the, uh, the, the Qantas Founders Museum is run by a different board. Now, we stayed in the homes of relatives and, and um, uh, relatives of the founders of Qantas because they're all, they all lived around Longreach. They were all invested in the company. And these people whose fathers and, uh, sorry, their grandfathers and great-grandfathers were instrumental 100 years ago in bringing Qantas to the air. They're heartbroken. They can't believe what's been done to the history. And these are the people that run the museum. And that's an indication of just how badly this has gone. Will Qantas come back? I pray it does. I think it may. But it's got to do a lot of cutting and burning to get back to reality. They need to appoint really good aviation people to the board. They need to appoint better aviation people into their bureaucratic management structure. And they need to do a lot of work to appease the staff and the clients in the U.S., uh, United Airlines voted to give their pilots a 40% pay increase wow. to keep them and get more of them. Yeah. And in Australia, we're decimating them. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. Sorry to hear about that, but uh, good to catch up with you again, Graham Hood. Thanks for your time again. Great to talk to you, Paul, and lots of love to our brothers and sisters across the ditch. And same going back. Cheers, mate. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.